0: Would you stand with me this morning one more time? And let's read our text this morning. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. Let's read it together. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to this text this morning, I pray that you would give us the insight to to see your will for us as your children as messengers of the gospel, as members of your household. I pray that as we look at, at these strong exhortations, that we will not back away from them for fear of dependence on self. Or, I pray that also, we would, we would not in the pursuit of them begin to depend on ourselves. I pray that we would by your grace, lean into these with all of the might that you provide to us. And in the end, trust you to grow us into what you have called us to become. And, it, and also, give you the glory for all of it. Because apart from you, we can do nothing. I pray that you would give us a freedom in the heart as we work through this text together this morning. I pray that you would give us a freedom of of understanding, a freedom of desire, a freedom from a fear of legalism or license, Father, that we would look at these and turn to you, rejoice in your good work. And Father, then let us see progress in our lives. Just as Paul exhorted Timothy to pay close attention to his doctrine and his life so that progress may be seen, Father, would you let us see progress in one another's lives because of your grace and for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Christ and for the good of the church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. This is a powerful text this morning. And I am not going to give it what it deserves, for sure. But I hope that through the Spirit of God as you study this text with me this morning, that it will have a great impact on your heart. Let's all come under the authority of this text together and then see these exhortations for what they are, not dismiss them as if they're someone else, but to take them for ourselves, each one of us, and then rest in the power of Christ to enable us to pursue these things from a heart genuinely. In our text this morning, it is most amazing that Paul calls Timothy a man of God. Just that title stirs things up in our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. A man of God. What is a man of God? What does it mean to be a man of God? It's amazing to see it here in this text because there are only two times in the entire New Testament when this title is used by any author only two times and Timothy is the only person specifically given that title in the entire New Testament this is that's fascinating that's amazing to me the other text where this title is used man of god is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where you, we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for training, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that what? The man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And even there, it, it is most directly being spoken to whom? Timothy. Timothy gains this title by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as man of God. And what comes to your mind when you hear that title, man of God? Well, this this title is very unique indeed. And I think it's, it's important for us to know and understand the significance for Timothy so that we can apply it to our own hearts as well. Paul knows that He has laid upon Timothy a very demanding assignment. He sent him to Ephesus where we know from studying first Timothy already that this church is in trouble. There has been false teaching that has been promoted in this church. There's people in leadership that shouldn't be there. There's immorality going on in the church. The the women are behaving insubmissively and it's causing disruption. The body the men are fighting and prayerless and so on and People are teaching the law of God in a way that is showing or telling people that they can earn their own salvation to God by obedience to the law. And so Paul sends Timothy right into the midst of this struggle and says, correct it. And he gives him instruction in these letters, but no less, it's a difficult task. He knows that Timothy tends toward timidity and discouragement and fear. We can see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at that, Lord willing, in in a couple of months. So with this title, the Apostle Paul is associating Timothy with those men of the Old Testament who were called by that title. That's where we see this title used often. Do you remember? Man of God here are some of the men in the Old Testament that were given this title. Moses, Samuel, David, Elijah, Elisha. Think about that. How would Timothy feel about being associated with these men? Paul says to Timothy, you're a man of God like that. You need to think of yourself as one with these men. Timothy's like, Oh my goodness, I am I am not like them. I'm not I'm, I I wouldn't even dream of associating myself with Moses or Elijah or Elisha. Or, and so Timothy like these men, why would why would why would Paul, Paul associate him there? Well, one thing that we can see is Timothy like those men was equipped with the scriptures. Those men were men of God because God had given to them his word to speak to his people. Timothy had the word of God. He had the scriptures. He was commissioned by the authority of God and Lord Jesus Christ to speak the Word of God to the people of God. So for that reason, Timothy too was a chosen man of God. And that's what Paul is reminding Timothy of, particularly in 1 Timothy 4, you could maybe page back there with me, 1 Timothy 4, 11-14, Paul tells Timothy with the authority that is entrusted to him, command and teach these things. He's speaking the Word of God to God's people with divine authority. Don't let anyone despise you for your youth. Set an example. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. That's that's an Old Testament model of what the man of God does. And don't neglect the gift you have. The Spirit of God had given to Timothy a gift to speak the Word of God, to the people of God. And by that, he is a man of God. In spite of Timothy's struggles and weaknesses and challenges, he is God's man. He belongs to God. He is chosen by God to bring God's Word to God's people at that time and that place. And so, so Paul is encouraging Timothy. You're a man of God, Timothy. It's, there's something going on that's bigger than yourself. This isn't about you, but you are God's. You belong to God. He's chosen you. He's equipped you with His Word. He's filled you with his spirit. He's gifted you. Be encouraged by that, Timothy. And so not only must Timothy understand that he is speaking for God, he must also then pursue the holy character of a man of God. If he is that, because of God's choice, he must also by God's choice and grace Live a life that's fitting. Timothy was reminded by Paul of that as well. 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay attention, Timothy, to your life and your doctrine. Speaking truth and holy living go hand in hand. You can't speak the truth with any impact on others apart from having a life that demonstrates the power of the truth. Paul often tells Timothy that he is to avoid being like the false teachers that, that he's seen and already experienced in Ephesus and to have the holy character of the man of God. Let me show you this. It's, there's kind of this um, back and forth pattern that Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Here, here's what's going on with this guy and this guy, but you, Timothy, you pursue this. Well, let me show you that. Look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 18 through 19. Paul is is not necessarily gentle with Timothy. He is is calling him to something. Something of God's work in him that is very much impactful on the people in the church that he is is serving. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. Timothy. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Now here's, here's who he doesn't want him to be like. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymeneus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, and they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul doesn't want Timothy to fall in the pattern of those men. He wants him to fight the good warfare holding faith and a good conscience. Look at chapter 4. In, chapters, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, he is exhorting Timothy really to understand and, and then to expose the false teachers and their teaching. The Spirit expressly says, "...in the latter times some will depart from the faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons." "...through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer." So that's what's to be avoided. That's what's to be warned about. Verse 6, "...if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith." and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. You see that back and forth? Timothy warned of this, false teachers, and these false teachers and their teaching. And don't be like them. You you pursue godliness and truth and and the words of faith. And Paul does it again with our text today. Look at chapter 6. Look at verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the teaching of our, of that accords with godliness, he's puffed up. He, he describes the false teacher there. We've looked at that in detail. And he warns about, about contentment and, and loving money and desiring to be rich. And then he comes to verse 11 and he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Timothy must be rid of and avoid the selfish character of the false teachers. He must pursue the holy character of the man of God. And by doing that, he will give credibility to his message. He will bring glory to God. Notice notice what you see here in verse 15 of chapter 6. Which he will display, the Lord Jesus Christ and His appearing, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, it dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. You see, the, the end of the life of the man of God ought to be a doxology to God. And that can only be if the man of God is pursuing the truth, running from error, pursuing righteousness and running from selfishness and greed. And as we have said in many other texts throughout our study of 1 Timothy, our text this morning has great impact on all our lives. This isn't merely for elders and deacons. It is primarily for the minister of the Word of God. It is. It's directed toward Timothy. And some of the elements in, this, in these exhortations are uniquely for the elder, for the one who speaks God's Word. But there is a pattern of holiness here that's not only for them, but, but each member of the household of God. If the man of God or the good servant of Jesus Christ is to be an example to all of, the God's, of God's people, then these texts apply largely to each child of God who are members of God's household. And we see that sort of... of uh, of connection in First Timothy 4.12 and 15 and 16 where the Apostle Paul commands Timothy to be an example of the believers in these elements. And if he is to be an example, then they are to follow those same patterns of righteousness. So each one of us are to pursue really the marks of a godly man, of the man of God. So you think about that as we look through this text, do you want to be a man of God? you want to be a woman of God? Is this the desire of your heart? And as I look at this text, you could ask yourself, well, what does it take to be a man of God, a woman of God? What things would you put in that list? Here's what the Spirit of God puts in the list. Here's, here is what the marks of the man of God are. And even in these two verses, he also points us to the powerful grace of God to enable us to pursue these things. Let's take this text for what it is. The main idea, by the saving power of God, let us pursue the marks of a man of God. Well, what are the marks of the man of God? There's four things here in this text, and I'm simply drawing out the... exhortations, flee, pursue, fight, take hold. Those are the four exhortations of this text. These are the marks of the man of God. Let's take a look at them. Number one, the first part of verse 11, the first thing about the man of God is that he flees some things. He flees. He runs from danger. There's a great intensity with these words you'll notice have you ever run from something where where all your adrenaline is just bursting within you maybe you had an encounter with an animal in the woods maybe someone was angry with you and running after you that, that's this word. This is to run from danger, to run from a vicious animal, a deadly plague, an attacking army, to seek safety by flight. This word, to flee, is the word that we get, our word fugitive. And this, this verb, flee, is a present active imperative. What does that mean? It means it's something to be done continually and for the entire duration of the Christian life in this earth. To run from some things. Do you sense that intensity about some things in this world, in your own heart? Spiritual issues of sin and darkness. To flee. This word, this word was used in Matthew 2.13 to describe Jesus, Joseph, and Mary fleeing into Egypt from the the genocide. Matthew 3.7, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, or, or I'm sorry, John the Baptist talking to the Pharisees, who warned you to, what? Flee from the wrath to come. Or Matthew 10.23, where Jesus exhorts his disciples as they're going from city to city when they find hostility and people ready to persecute them, it's fine to flee to the next city for refuge. Look at 1 Corinthians 6.18. There's a few things in the Scripture that are explicitly stated that we ought to flee from. 1 Corinthians 6.18. It says flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. That's one thing we ought to have this intensity to flee from is sexual immorality. Flee from it. Run like like a bobcat is following you. Um, 1 Corinthians 10.14 Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There's something in the heart that we flee from. There's something with our body that we flee from. Something with our heart that we flee from. Worshiping anything other than God Himself. Run from it. Second Timothy, back in our pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22 is a list very similar to the one that is on our text today. It says, "...so flee youthful passions." There are some things that we need to flee from. And specifically in this text, Paul addresses some things that we need to flee from. These things, what are these things referring to in this text? Well, he's talking about what we studied last week. Notice in the previous verses, he's been talking about the marks of a false teacher and greediness, love of money, desire to be wealthy. And look at verse 3 again. Teaching a different doctrine. Timothy, flee from it. Words that don't agree with the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Flee from them. Flee from anything that, that doesn't accord with godliness. This teacher's puffed up, conceited. He loves controversy. He loves quarrels. He loves... To produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicion, constant friction. Flee from that, Timothy. He imagines that a god that godliness is, is a means of, of material gain. Flee from that mindset, Timothy. Do you desire to be rich? Flee from that. Do you love money? Flee from that. Timothy is, is being warned by Paul to run from God material greed in the ministry that is the thing that he must run from notice the apostle paul his words in first thessalonians chapter 2 paul is very very uh, attentive to his own heart in this text We looked at this a few weeks ago at, on our annual meeting Sunday. Paul says in verse 3, Our appeal doesn't spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. We never came, verse 5, with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Paul looks into his heart as he ministered to the Thessalonians and speaks about his motives. They weren't from error, impurity, or deception. They didn't desire something for themselves. They weren't greedy. They didn't desire glory. They desired to give the gospel, and to bring glory to God. And So these are the things that Paul tells Timothy to run from, most specifically, is the motives of greed in the ministry. Now, I want you to think about that. Do you pay attention to your own motives and reasons for doing what you do, even when you are ministering to the people around you? Do you look at that? Or do you merely focus on the external things? Look deeper than that. Look deeper than your your external behaviors. Look at your heart. Look, Look why you do what you do. Because what's in the heart will eventually what? It'll come out in time. It'll come out through our behaviors. And Paul is reminding Timothy: Do you love money? Do you are, are, do you desire to be wealthy? Do you want do you want to turn behaviors of godliness into financial gain or personal gain or self exaltation? Run from that! Run from that! That's the first mark of a man of God. He runs. He flees from using the ministry or any kind of service toward other people as a means of of, of greed, selfish ambition. Secondly, he pursues. He, He doesn't just run away from something. He runs to something. Notice, he pursues righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. The word pursue there, to run swiftly in order to reach a goal or to acquire something, to seek after earnestly and intensely. In fact, what I found very interesting about this word is, if you look up this word through the New Testament, you would find that most of the time it's translated to persecute. For example, look at Romans 12. Verses 13 and 14. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek is that word. Pursue. Showing hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who, what? That's the same word. Persecute you. And you can see the connection. When one person is persecuting another, what are they doing? They're pursuing them hard so as to torment them, right? That's how Christian persecution often was. They're pursuing them hard. That, that's this idea. You, there's something you must pursue and take over, and have for yourself. Romans fourteen verse nineteen uses this word. It says, Pursue what makes for peace and upbuilding. Run after it, pursue it hard, be hard on its tail, and acquire it for yourself. Hebrews twelve fourteen, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one can see the Lord. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Paul uses this word there as well. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on. That's the idea. To make it my own, because Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul is talking about perfected righteousness here. He knows he's standing righteousness in Christ. He's standing righteous in Christ by faith, but then he wants to then practice that righteousness. He wants that to come out on his life and he's pursuing hard upon it. Spiritual maturity, he desires that. And so, this is what the Apostle Paul points us to here in 1 Timothy 6. Pursue righteousness. What is the righteousness that, that Paul is talking about here? That marks the man of God, the pursuit of righteousness. This righteousness is not referring to that righteousness which is imputed to the chosen child of God by God's legal declaration. That's not this particular situation. The, the positional righteousness that we might say for justification. This is referring to the practical righteousness of sanctification. That's accomplished by the Holy Spirit within us. It pleases the Father. It, in Christ, it's the practical daily obedience of the believer to the Word of God. It's to know God's revealed will and to do it. To be submissive to God in word and deed. It's what is spoken of in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness. Seek it. Pursue it. He runs, he runs from evil. He runs from greed, deception. He pursues righteousness with His whole heart. This is what's being spoken of in Romans chapter 6. For example, verse 13. Verse 16, verse 18 through 20, where the Apostle Paul says, Now that you are in Christ, do not yield your your body, the members of your body, to unrighteousness, but give yourself over to righteousness. Live like the person that you've been declared to be in Christ. Give yourself, be a slave of righteousness, not a slave of sin. Again, 2 Timothy 2.22 speaks of that same thing. Flee youthful desires, but pursue righteousness. This is the pursuit of the man of God. Secondly, godliness is here in this list. Godliness. We've talked about this quite a bit last week. Reverence. Piety towards God. And I think in this context, with righteousness... This usage of godliness seems to place an emphasis on the heart. What's going on in the heart and the mind. If righteousness is the pursuit of the outer life of holiness, then godliness is pursuit of the inner life of holiness. And that godliness actually then motivates the outer life of righteousness. This godliness in the heart is is, is being mindful of God in all things. Sometimes... I. You step back from life and you slow down for a minute and you look back on your day and you you ask yourself, was I mindful of God in everything I do? His greatness, His loving kindness like we talked about this morning, His presence here with me, His will in all things. Was I mindful of God? There's always something driving us, right? There's always something that's motivating our thoughts and actions and attitudes and behaviors. And the one thing that the man of God pursues is that the greatness, the glory, the love, the presence of God would shape everything about his thoughts, his desires, his attitudes, his words, his actions. That's godliness. The heart that pursues knowing God, to be in awe of God, to be humble before God, to be loving God, to pursue the glory of God in every thought and word and action. So the man of God flees from greed and every other selfish motive and pursues doing all to the glory of God, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. There's nothing so mundane that you cannot be godly in doing it if it is righteous. Proverbs 4.23 Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Is my heart ruled by the presence and the, the greatness of God in all things? This is what, this godliness has already been the the thing that, that Timothy is exhorted to pursue. We see that in verse chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 of First Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverence, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for Godliness. We've seen that in chapter 6, verses 3 and 5 and 6. Pursue godliness, Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is the priority. Look at 2 Peter. Turn to 2 Peter. This is not just the words of of Paul that point us toward godliness, but Peter talks about this as well. And, And we see in the letter of Peter here, Tremendous spiritual provision and power in order to have godliness. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. His divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Maybe there we see the external and the internal put together as well, the life and godliness in the heart. How does it come to us? Where are we granted such power to be godly? Through the knowledge of Christ. When you know Christ and and see Him for who He is and know how He has called us to His own glory and excellence through His own saving work, it it brings your mind to be filled with Him. His love, his, His presence by which He has granted to us His very precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. We see it later on as we add to our faith virtue, virtue, knowledge. Verse 6, knowledge, self-control, self-control with steadfastness. Steadfastness with what? Godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection for the affection with love. Turn over one chapter, or, or two chapters to 2 Peter 3, and then verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? There again, it seems to be pointing to the outer life and then the inner life of godliness, being mindful of God in all things. So the man of God is to pursue righteousness, godliness. These these are his primary pursuits in life. And and thirdly, faith. Faith. You know, faith is one of those words that has multiple definitions. When we see faith, especially in the pastoral epistles, in, in the writings of Paul, it could mean the faith, right? And often has the article before it, the definite article, the faith that refers to truth, right? The faith, truth. Or it could be faith, meaning what? Not truth, but trust in the truth or trust in God. And then there's a third usage for faith. It can often mean faithfulness or integrity or trustworthiness. And so the man of God is to pursue those things. Faith. Yes, certainly the man of God first and foremost pursues the true knowledge of God's perfections and promises and power and plans and purposes. That, that's his pursuit. To know God. Truth. He pursues truth with his whole heart. But then, not just that, he having, while knowing the truth, he pursues growth in the ability to what? Trust in God. No matter what, no matter how difficult, no matter what his circumstances, no matter what his personal struggles, he is to pursue trust in God. You know, it's interesting, you, you come to Christ in salvation and you're called upon by the scriptures to trust, right? Trust and turn, trust in Christ, turn from sin. And you know that trust when you, be, when you first come to Christ in faith, it's just a baby trust, isn't it? And then as you grow in the Lord, your your faith is challenged by numerous things. Temptations to sin, trials, circumstances, all kinds of things. Opportunities for ministry that seem so far above and beyond your ability. And they all are, right? And so in all those things, your faith is then challenged and you have to come to the question in your own heart and say, will I again trust God? Will I continue to trust God? Will I... Will, will my faith grow and the man of God pursues that to continue to trust in God for everything not just to know God to seek truth but then the trust the promises that he knows to seek and trust the power of God that he has begun to experience and then to be faithful to be trustworthy to be faithful to God in all things this, this, is, this is his pursuit. Faith is not a static aspect of our spiritual lives. It grows. It must grow. It must increase. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And verse 13. The Apostle Paul writes this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Right, the Christian life comes from the life of faith, the life of trusting in God and growing in that trust, standing in the faith and trusting the Word of God and the character of God and the promises of God. First Corinthians chapter one. I'm sorry. Uh, Colossians chapter one. The apostle Paul again speaks of faith as something that must endure, it must grow, it must stay. Colossians one twenty three if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I Paul became a minister. You will be presented holy, blameless, and above before above be, approach before God someday, if your faith stays. That's, that's what the man of God is pursuing, a faith that is steadfast and staying and growing. Second Timothy chapter three and verse ten. The Apostle Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, You, however, have followed my teaching and my conduct and my aim, my life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. The Apostle Paul encourages Timothy that he has followed his faith. Love, the highest affection and commitment to God and others, the affection which serves and sacrifices for the good of others and the glory of God. These are this is, this is the, the most basic Christian motive for all of life. Matthew 22, 37 through 40, Jesus speaks of this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the, the two great commandments. First Corinthians 13, we pursue a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. We pursue a love, 1 John 4, 7 through 11, a love like God's love. The same kind of love that that moved Him to send His Son as a propitiation for our sin. In fact, the only way we can love like that is if God first loves us in salvation. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness. In other words, patience, endurance, fortitude, perseverance. Particularly under the weight and pressure and stress of difficult situations. Like wrongs done to you. Extreme sorrow pain and suffering, great loss. The New Testament is rich in calling the believer to steadfastness, steadfastness of faith. And it's very important for the minister, of course, uh, the man of God to be steadfast in faith because then he provides an example to the people of God for such steadfastness as well. For example, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, Paul says to the Corinthians. If we are confounded, it's for your comfort, which you've experienced when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. You see, here's how it works in the ministry of the gospel. God often sends the man of God through the same afflictions that the people will experience. Why? so that he can comfort them in the Scriptures in their affliction. If he's never had the affliction and the opportunity to be steadfast, then how can he help others to do the same in in the way that he otherwise would be able to? That's the way it works. That's the way it works. So steadfastness is so incredibly important. Paul says, we comfort you because we've needed the same comfort in Christ. Our steadfastness, your steadfastness. 2 Thessalonians 1.4 talks about the same thing. 2 Timothy 3.10-11, Paul calls Timothy to follow his own steadfastness. And of course, our patience, our steadfastness is all modeled after whose? Christ's. Hebrews 12.1, who for the joy set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross. This This is the pursuit of the man of God. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and finally gentleness. There's a meekness the, the the kindness of patience that graciously ministers and teaches and serves others even when those people are very difficult even when the man of god is under great pressure from various circumstances how often do we lash out at the people around us in interacting with them because we are under personally great pressure that we're bottling up within us, right? And just given the right opportunity with someone, it all wants to come rushing out at them. they are like, what was that all about, right? Or sometimes we're enacting and we're called to serve and minister to people and with people that are difficult to us. They they feel abrasive to, to us and it can become difficult to be gentle, to have the kindness of patience to be mild and meek with them. And yet this is, this is a golden attribute that God calls the man of God to. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. The, the Corinthian people were a very difficult people to the Apostle Paul. And he says in chapter 10, verse 1, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. He treats them with the gentleness of Christ. Or Galatians 6, one. when one believer goes to another believer and confronts them and helps them to come up out of the sin in which they are entrapped, how are they to come? In a spirit of what? Gentleness. We have to pursue these things. It doesn't come naturally to us. What comes naturally is being frustrated and angry with those around us that we we sense or feel are difficult. But no, the man of God must be gentle. Colossians 3 12 through 13. When there's wrongs done, we can we confess it, we forgive it, and we we treat one another in the gentleness of Christ. Second Timothy two, twenty four through twenty six, classic text about gentleness, right? I'll remind you of it. Second Timothy two, twenty four to twenty six. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. God has chosen to use gentleness... The gentleness of Christ to woo those who are enslaved by Satan's deception, to woo them out of it, and to come into the truth. That's how this works. Gently teaching, gently absorbing hostility. It's an important attribute here and elsewhere in Scripture. So this this is what the man of God pursues. There's things that he flees from. There's things that he pursues. Now, we're going to stop here today, but as we close, I I just want to ask you, are these things on your heart? Have they already been on your heart to flee from like the plague and to pursue with all of your heart? Have they been on your prayer list? Are you trusting God to work these into your heart? Because we can't just start being these things. They may begin to come slowly after much prayer and study in the Word. How does your heart change? Your heart doesn't change by simply turning over a new leaf. It changes as you seek the Lord. And you, you take a text like this before Him and you pray, God, make me these things and help me to, to run from these other things. Help me to be able to identify these these greedy, selfish motives in my heart and help me to see them, help me to want to turn from them, give me the grace to do so. Would you teach me more about these other virtues, Father, and, and work them into my life? And, and, and you run to Christ and ask Him to live this in you. Right? Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but what? Christ lives in me. The only way that we are going to live these things as if Christ lives them through you. And the only way that 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 becomes more and more of reality is is if you are, as a believer, then seeking the Lord with your whole heart, trusting in Him to do so, knowing Him, knowing Christ in the Word and in prayer so that He forms His desires and His attitudes in you. And you know what? You can ask the Spirit of God to bring these texts back to, back, to back to your mind when you, when you know, when you have the opportunity. That's, that's a hard part too, right? You're, it's facing you, the, the need for gentleness or steadfastness, and sometimes in those moments the pressure is so high we forget all about Scripture, don't we? And it's then, Spirit of God, please bring it all back to my mind. Help me to turn to the Word and to be renewed in the Spirit of my mind. So that I can demonstrate what your will is and bring you glory. That's that's what we need. That's what we need. And you know what? Before I pray, let me ask you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 because there's no way in the world that any one of us, that any man, can be able to pursue. The life of the man of God apart from salvation in Jesus Christ. Look at this text, 2 Timothy 3. Remember I read before that the Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable and, and is able to bring a person to be the man of God, right? Equip the man of God for every good work. It's the Scripture that does it. But before the Scriptures do it, notice what the Scriptures must do First. Verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Before you can ever pursue the life of a man of God or a woman of God, you must be a child of God. The Scriptures will point you to Christ. They will show you your sin They will show you the justice of God. They will show you the mercy of God. And the Scriptures invite you to trust in Christ so that then you can have the Holy Spirit within you so that you can, in the strength of Christ, pursue the life of the man of God. And notice, young people, did you look at this text too? Children, notice. From when, from what time can someone be acquainted with the sacred writings? From childhood, Timothy was. From childhood. When do you begin pursuing the life of the man or the woman of God? From childhood. Don't wait until you're 42 to pursue this. Pursue it now as a child. Know the Scriptures. Seek salvation in Jesus Christ if you don't have it already. And then let the Scriptures fill your mind and your life so that it can equip you to become that man and woman of God. That's our prayer today. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for these exhortations from the Apostle Paul. And we know, we know that with par- apart from you, we can do nothing. And so we ask you to work these in us. Help us to be thinking about this text and praying over it and asking that you would shape us into your image. Help us to come to the Word knowing that it is your inspired Word and that it is fully capable of making us equipped and mature men and women of God. We pray that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen.